0: I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day everyone, and welcome to this episode of Hard Yards in Leadership. Well, of course, as an ex-corporate guy myself, when I think of leadership, I primarily think of it in a business context, but I've always been curious to step outside that space and explore leaders and the concept of leadership in very different settings, and today's guest certainly ticks that box. With over 12 years' experience in the Royal Australian Air Force, including active service duties, Cliff Morgan can talk about leadership in times where profit and loss is replaced with life or death. Hearing him talk and the lessons that he shares and his experiences really reframes the importance of providing great leadership. As I mentioned, Cliff had been has extensive experience in the Royal Australian Air Force, but his career is quite diverse beyond that too. After leaving full-time service, although he still is an active reservist, Cliff went and studied organisational psychology and became an organisational psychologist. He founded his own business, Lumian Consulting. And there he now seeks to fuse the psychological science of leadership and people at work with decades of military experience. And so he brings the discipline, training and focus to the development of leadership capability. In talking with Cliff, I'll be exploring in the first instance, the pros and cons of military style leadership and its applicability to other forms of leadership. And you're going to find this fascinating including a lot of discussion around the drastically different level of importance the military place on leadership training uh, versus the corporate sector. And boy, do we have something we can learn from that. Cliff will be sharing an instance where he he made a classic leadership mistake of initially coming in way too hard uh, on people in his team. And that didn't go well. So that's going to be a really interesting story to hear him talk about. And then in a different phase of his career, he was in the volunteer sector and and he had a team of a dozen people and managed to lose them all in just one month, thanks to what he describes as the wrong communication style. So, I'm going to enjoy exploring what happened there. And along the way, Cliff has some fantastic advice for problem solving and self-development. I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Cliff. You're going to learn from him. You're going to love listening to his fascinating journey. And with that, let me just say, welcome, Cliff.
1: G'day, Wayne. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's a real pleasure.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. I've been so looking forward to having this conversation. And we've had lots of founders and sort of corporate folks and all sorts of other folks on the show as guests. And your background is a little bit different. So you know that's something for our audience to to look forward to hearing. Before we even sort of jump into your big stories, can you take us back to the first time that you realised that you had leadership responsibility? What was happening then?
1: Yeah, certainly. Look, I have been a student of leadership my entire life. I remember my dad, as a young teenager, giving me uh, leadership books to read, and I I always, you know, have been a fairly strong personality and. In positions and roles, whether formal or informal, whether well, I'm influencing people, and most people would uh, kind of agree that leadership is really influence. John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, and my definition of of leadership is influencing a group of people in order to create a change necessary to achieve a common goal, nice. uh, essentially. So, when I think about that definition, I've been Leading people uh, from a very very young age. I think probably my first formal role, you know, even at a low level, was grade eight, first day, and I was uh, voted class captain. And you know, from you no know, one in in the the school, like brand new, didn't know anyone, but someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, can I vote for you for class captain?" And really funny story in that I beat this this other guy in in the vote, really close. And it came down to us to again for school captain five years later. And he pipped me just then. So he was school captain, I was vice captain. But that's probably my first formal leadership role, I guess. But uh, as I say, from from very young age, been influencing people, being role models to people younger than me and... Running, you know, a whole whole bunch of various different different roles, and uh, that's just continued on as I go through life. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting how often people actually reflect back on their first leadership
0: experience as being something that happened before they kind of entered the full time workforce. You know, we still draw on some of those processes and approaches and all those sorts of things that that we were practicing as kids as class captain or as a, you know, as a, as a deputy head prefect or whatever it might be, you know, we learn a lot through those, those experiences, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, everything from just the basics, right? I mean, I, I in some of my, my work I talk, be brilliant at the basics. And it's those basics of just being a good role model. Whether you've got, you know, especially if you've got a title, even if you don't necessarily have any responsibilities, but just having a title of leader in some uh, way, shape or form, then you have this expectation that you need to be a a, a role model and and model the behaviour of whatever the group is that you're, you're in. And so that actually becomes really important and I think you start to learn that from your childhood really. And if you don't learn it then then it's really hard, I think, as an adult to actually learn that and start changing some of those behaviours and internalising some of those responsibilities that we would expect senior leaders to have. And I know in my work, uh, we often take for granted that senior leaders who, you know, 30 years into their career, they have all the basics down pat and it's so often not the case. And, you know, for me that to come in and do executive coaching at the top uh, and, and you just kind of expect that this will be done, and you come in. And it's actually quite hard to make some of those changes, uh, as opposed to working with someone right at the start of their career, where they're much more malleable. I guess. Yeah.
0: Let's fast forward because that was pre-working days. What about once you were officially in the workforce? What What was your first leadership experience then?
1: Yeah. Look. So once I left school, the first couple of jobs, I, I went, went to start studying uni and I had a couple of jobs in there where I was uh, actually coaching sport at my old school so you I mean, you could consider them as, as very much leadership roles as much shaping and, and influencing young men as well as teams and, and and all that sort of thing but really about 18 months into my studies I decided to take a break and went and joined the military and, and uh, was in the Air Force and they have a very the military worldwide, you, you, it's, you know, the rank structure and very quickly you get opportunities to lead. And so, you know, once once I'd been in there and established myself, there was, you know, you get certain qualifications and that allows you to do certain things. And then you're, you, know, as you have get a couple bit of time under your belt, you're expected to kind of mentor and, and again, be that role model for the junior guys coming through and you're teaching them. On the go all the time, whether you have the formal title of instructor or not, you're very much leading them. You know, the expectation is that you will lead, whether you have a formal responsibility to lead or not. And then, you know, over time, you get promoted, you get given certain responsibilities. And I think the first formal title that I, I probably had in the military was 2IC, you know, and, and that essentially allowed me, I was 2IC to a a section commander, so two IC to a section commander. So section commander has 10 men and then I had my own patrol within that. So I was second in charge for for a group of 10, but we would separate into two groups and and operate uh, separately and independently and I had my own team of five. So as a patrol commander, that was probably the first formal you know, leadership role. And then I went on to be weapons instructor and, you know, have a a number of different roles like that in the military. But again, in the the workplace, I guess the real formal type stuff was that uh, title of patrol commander.
0: It's fascinating for our listeners to hear from you, Cliff, about some of these experiences in the military space because, you know, most of us come from kind of like standard kind of, you know, the business world and, and so on, and that's where most of our experiences come from. And I guess we have this sense that in the military kind of rank is everything and people just do as they're told and, and, and it's
1: as simple as that. So my simple question is, is it? It can be, but it shouldn't be. And therefore it isn't, uh, I, I guess is the, the complicated way of saying that. I think there is a traditional mindset around when someone with rank gives an order, people follow it instinctively and to the T. And there is a requirement for that. You cannot take that away from the military. If you are on the battlefield, if you are on operations, if you've got rounds coming down range and people are firing at you, you need to listen to the orders that you are given. You need to execute them as best as possible, as quickly as possible, because your life and the lives of your teammates depends on it. So there is an aspect that you, you absolutely cannot take that form of leadership away at the same time though you can't lead like that as a, a consistently throughout mm. regardless of what situation you need to change your ability to relate to people and to to influence and i i talk about where particularly with the younger generation coming through where they have a whole lot more expectations around what the relationship with leadership looks like as opposed to previous generations where they just turned up To their job they did what they were told and got their paycheck and went home to their family that's not the mindset that younger generations have so leaders need to be able to lead really with a level of relationship with a level of trust and a lot of the research coming out now is that uh you know millennials and and gen z and whoever's coming in behind them want a whole lot more they're up to 50 percent more development in the workplace and they want that development not to come from anywhere. They want them from their immediate supervisor. So they want actually want a mentoring-type relationship with their managers. And as a result of that, that's the way that leaders need to lead, particularly when they're in barracks, they're doing training and they're not on the battlefield. And the reality is that if you lead in that manner and you build trust then when it comes to being on the battlefield and you get given an order then people trust you implicitly and so therefore they do uh, follow you without thinking and it's not an issue there but if you are trying to lead from your rank as a from a position of rank the entire time uh, without actually investing into the relationship with your people then that erodes trust and that's where you get a whole lot of discontent you and uh, really it, it um, to be honest it's I it, know uh, I've seen it time and time again it actually creates a toxic subculture uh, within the team or the unit that you're in and there's a whole lot of problems that come to that and the effect of that is that on the battlefield there is no trust and, and things just go awry there it's not as effective a team there so Yes, uh, and, and I think that's that's being understood a whole lot more by modern military leaders. There's a, a lot more of investment into those types of concepts in the leadership training that people get in the military, and, and it's one of the great things that the military does, right, is every time you progress, you get a new level of training. Every time you get promoted, you go on a promotion course where they do not not only give you the technical skills that you need, there's a whole component there around whether it's, you know, a new leadership model for you to consider at this level or here are the leadership considerations that you need or here's a bunch of case studies around how people in your position have done things well and and done poorly and where now as part of this training course we're going to throw you in situations and and get you to lead and get kind of the experience in a safe environment as scenario-based training. The military does exceptionally well where I think scenario-based training is is one of the most underutilized tools mm, uh, in mm. the corporate world, right? We, we never just, even just to sit down and do a desktop scenario, right? And just talk it through who in this scenario, who would do what? How would we do this? And, and that just doesn't happen. So the military, I think there are people that do have a sense of kind of entitlement and lead from a position of rank. They generally don't last too long. And uh, they aren't the highest performing that you'll see in the military.
0: Mm. Super interesting, and of course, you know, you started this this response with talking about the building of trust. And of course, you know, as we all know in the corporate world, it's one of the most important things that we talk to leaders about. Is if you don't have a, a foundation of trust, then nothing else is ever going to work. So, you know, when I'm, I'm fascinated, Cliff, to, to hear from you about what sort of training and, and so on actually happens in the military to help teach people how to build that foundation of trust?
1: So there's definitely investment at, at various levels. I, I think so. And when I say this, there's a, a lot of investment around different theories of leadership. And so you get exposed to different theories. And the intent behind that is here, you've got a whole lot of leadership theory. You pick what resonates with you and you use that to then lead, right? And and there's a a great benefit to that. I think, you know, for me, myself as a a student of leadership, I I love reading about all the various different types of of leadership approaches and how you could use that. One thing I think, or the the downside to that is there's no consistency in terms of a leadership framework that is applied at all levels, right? And and so you can talk about, you know, here are these five, you know, aspects of leadership or leadership behaviours and here's what that looks like as a section commander, all right? Here's what that looks like at the sergeant level. Here's how that looks like at the junior officer level. Here's what that looks like at thing. But whenever the leaders are then talking to the people down the line or up the line, they're using a common language to discuss what leadership is and how people influence and and all of that sort of thing. Whereas, uh, you know, if you've got junior officers that have been, you know, taught about situational leadership at Duntroon or, or ADFA or, or, you know, their officer training and then then talking to their corporals and their section commanders who have only been taught about, you know, some of the other different types of, of leadership, uh, whatever different model it is, uh, then you know the officers are then talking about well you know we've got to take a uh you know coaching and a mentoring approach here and and that like that just the junior guys haven't been exposed to that so that's an area where I think the the military could do things slightly better and my exposure is primarily air force so I've had a little bit of exposure to army and very little to to navy but you know, from what I understand, that's a a consistent approach that ADF take uh, across the board. So uh, again, pros and cons to that approach. So there's definitely the investment in, hey, here's leadership theory, here's that sort of thing. But the biggest one, Wayne, is that you're always getting experience of operating at the next level. And it's this one-up training type thing. You know, the the military is always going on on training exercises and doing operations and all that sort of thing and it's a constant uh, reality that you've got either people hurt and injured or you've got people away on training for courses or you know they're they're about to be promoted or you've got an operational deployment that which you know they've been pulled out of to go and seconded to another unit to go on that operational deployment so there's always holes in the structure and therefore there's always people stepping up into those holes and you're always getting exposed to leading at the next level so the level of experience that you get at leading a position up before you actually get put into that position substantively is like nowhere else in the world and so therefore you're constantly getting exposed to here's how the next level up thinks, here's how what the next level up does. You're always in your role looking at the next level up because you know that at any point you could be put into that position and then have to perform in that role. And as a result of that, you're always thinking about what you're doing, but you're always thinking at that next level as well. So strategic thinking is developed quite well. And you know then there's all kind of that goes with that, all the other Kind of technical stuff around, whether that's planning a an element of a mission, or it's giving a set of orders, or it's providing training to something else. All of that sort of stuff, you learn very quickly because you're being put in all these different positions, and it just becomes second nature to start thinking about you know specified task and implied task and who's going to have to do that and the planning cycle that goes beyond that. And all of these sort of things are, are critical components to really good leadership that aren't necessarily called out and, and taught. But, you know, for many in the military, it just kind of comes becomes naturally because you've constantly been put in all these different positions, so often higher positions, as a result of just the reality of the military workplace.
0: Yeah, which is, you know, it's interesting because what you're describing is a, an organisation that has a significant amount more attention to and devotion to training in the first instance, and a recognition of the extraordinary importance of being able to pivot fast. And I guess, you know, in the in the corporate world, training always seems to get s- sort of squeezed into some little tiny space and is the first thing to get cancelled if budgets, you know, get cut or whatever it might be. We still have the same sense of the need to pivot is really important, but we don't actually work through simulation exercises and throw the responsibility at someone who perhaps isn't quite ready for it in a simulation and let them learn in those spaces. And and I think there's a huge amount we can take from the military examples that you're talking about.
1: 100%. And and I very much agree. I I mentioned that, you know, that scenario-based training, that simulation-based training, and training in general is often put on the back burner because the military, they're for the vast majority of of the military, they're not doing their job, the job that they train to do, unless they're on operations. Realistically, I probably spent, of my five and a half years full time in the military, I probably spent nine months of that actually doing uh, operations. And so, uh, you know, the rest of that was training to do a job. And so, whereas it's it's flipped, right, in the the corporate world is you're actually doing your job for the vast majority of time and, and therefore training is when you kind of come offline and this is part of the the reason I wrote this book The Coaching Leader last year and the part of the the reason that I did that is to address this particular issue is that I'm a big believer if you've got a coaching skill set as part of your leadership toolkit then anything you do as a leader is an opportunity to train and develop your people if you so choose and you know I talk about this one up trainee and it's it's just a matter of pick a task that you have to do as a leader it's your task but uh, use it as an opportunity to actually bring people into that task and, and train them. So you've got a decision that you want to make and it's your decision to make. It's completely your responsibility. And normally what you would do is you'd sit down at your desk, you'd work through you know, the entire scenario, and then you'd make your decision. You go out and communicate that, right? Absolutely nothing wrong with that approach. But if you so choose, you say, okay, I've got to make this decision. Hey, Sally, come on, come on into my office. As Sally, I've got a decision to make and I don't know which way to go. I'd love to bounce this off you. And so here's the scenario and here's the decision. What would you do? And you start to then coach and you ask questions and you say, well, hey, what's the outcome that you're after? What are the different options that you see? What are the different considerations and constraints we've got to operate in? And, uh, you know, what are the different courses of actions that you could come up with? I've got a few in my head, but what would you come up with? And which one do you think is the best? And and how would you implement that? And you might ask then, well, how do you think that would be perceived by other elements of the organisation? What might be the impacts of that over in this department and that department? And you, you start to, you know, just coach right? Them through that whole thing and kind of get them to a decision. At the end of it, you say, hey, Sally, thank you so much. I still haven't made my decision yet. I don't know which way I'll go, but I really feel like I've got a greater level of clarity and it's been really useful to bounce, you know, these ideas off you. Sally goes, you sit down and make your decision. Now you think about the benefits to that approach, right? First of all, think about Sally. So Sally, how does she feel in that scenario? she feels pretty good, right? She feels valued because the boss is actually you know, taking the time to hear her opinion. So she's like, okay, cool. So I must be valuable because he's investing time in me and he's, and he's actually getting me to actually contribute to that. I must be actually doing pretty well. I must be high performing for doing that. So she feels good. She feels valued. Uh, her self-belief and self-confidence actually rises because the belief or the perception that the leaders would only ask others to contribute if they you know, are actually performing well. So she gets all of that. But she also gets exposed to you making your decisions, what working and operating at your level looks like. She gets exposed to the decisions that you have to make. She gets experience thinking about what are all the, the different things more strategically, bigger picture that are not just contained in her little world, which is where she's used to operating. And so she gets this whole development experience around that. But then you think about the the benefits to you as the leader, right? One, you get to know a little bit more about how Sally thinks. Two, you get to understand where she's at. and, And that might give you some ideas around how you would invest and develop her further down the track. Three, you get to understand what's the perception of this particular decision from lower down in the organisation because we might think that other people will perceive a decision in one way and so often that's not the case. So, you you get to understand that and, and you get all this other information that feeds into your decision making. So, you you actually make a more informed decision. Yeah. The The other benefit is, you know, from my years of One of the things I've learned of my years of coaching is that whenever you coach someone on a particular topic, and I'm sure you found this as well, Wayne, you yourself get a whole lot more clarity on that particular topic. Totally. Right? And so you actually you're at the end of it, you're making a more informed decision. You're a whole lot more clear on what your decision should be. You make a better decision, and you're developing your team member in the process. So, uh, you, you know, like it's it's a win-win for absolutely everybody and all of that while you're, you're developing the individual team member but you're not taking them offline, you're still online, you're still day-to-day on the work, on the tools, uh, you're just pulling them aside for kind of 20 minutes and you're getting your work done and she's getting training at the same time, right? So, uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I do what I do and I'm passionate about equipping leaders to coach because... I'm a big believer we don't need to fill our organisations with executive coaches, but if we equip them with coaching skills, they lead better, they develop their people more, and as a result, we've got better performance across organisations, better capability across it all, and everything just is, is a better outcome.
0: Totally, yeah, super interesting. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. I hope every leader who hears these stories recognizes that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It will help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. So, I want to dive back. I want to go all the way back to when you first had your, you were the 2IC, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I guess once you were kind of made 2IC and you had your little squadron, I guess everyone did exactly as they were told and no one challenged your leadership and, and it just all worked completely perfectly, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Or did something else happen?
1: No, it's interesting, right? So, you know, I was still very junior in my, you know, I, I might have been a student of leadership from my teenage years, but in terms of experience under pressure at that stage, I was still very junior. And I look back and I think, oh, that was, should not have approached that scenario in this particular way. I should have done that. And hindsight's twenty twenty, But I did the best that I could and I had some great role models. One of the things about military leadership that I, I say is, is an absolute, Bonus, whichever way you look at it is you get to serve under the best of leaders and you get to see the worst of leadership as well so you learn what to do and you learn what not to do and so I had all of that and so with good role models I did the best that I I could and again you know thinking back I'm like 20 21 at this this stage so yeah there's a whole lot of maturity stuff still yet to happen at that point so there are a whole lot of challenges in in terms of strong personality how do you deal with strong personalities and and particularly in the military where there's a lot of alpha males and testosterone going and so often uh at that stage you think about escalating like coming in over the top it's it's actually so the way we're trained in in the military right is that when you're there's a threat you come in often at one level higher and then de-escalate so you show your force and then try and de-escalate as much as possible, and that might work well when you're in a combat scenario. But when you're actually internally, you know, leaders butting heads with their people, it's probably not always the best approach to take. But you know, as as young people, that's kind of just the mindset that you had. And so, as I said, there were personality things. There were I definitely were trying hard to drive performance and motivate people, and and didn't do that the the right way. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that's that was going on there.
0: So, we talk about going in over the top and dealing with with alpha personalities. And, you know, in the audience, we have stacks of different leaders, many of whom are in the early phases of their leadership time, and many of whom literally have that in front of them now. They've got alpha personalities, and they might be a bit of an alpha personality. And, I mean, are there any particular examples you can think of, you know, kind of getting down to the individual level of you know, something that happened and how it maybe went wrong and what you learned from it or so on?
1: Yeah, certainly. Look, I can think of of plenty of times where particularly there there would be certain individuals that you'd have in your patrol, in your team or section and where they'd want want to cut corners for say, you know, would be one example or or they, they, I mean, they were hardworking, they were committed to what they're doing, but then it's like, okay, it's just enough is, is enough type thing. Whereas, me and a lot of the other people were like, let's do the best job we can. Uh, and so that that difference in mindset and attitude and so again trying to motivate them then whether they're complaining or they're just sitting down, yeah no nah, I'm not doing any more of this and you're trying to you know get them to, push right through to the end and, you know, pay attention and do things the right way as, you know, there's, there's a saying that we have in the military around you end up fighting the way that you train. You know, you don't rise to the occasion in battle, you sink to the level of your training. And so as a, a leader with a formal position, you would try and get people to train the way that you expected them to fight. You, you know, do everything properly as opposed to do something, you know, with only half the effort. And there was a lot of stouches kind of around that particular thing. And, you know, I I look back and I was coming, just yelling at people and threatening people and trying to come in over the top of them. It was, again, it it very rarely is the best way to work, right? There are times when you just need to pull rank, but I I think if you get to that point, something's gone wrong along the way many times beforehand for for that to be necessary. And so, you know, I look back and I think, well, how could I have done things better? Uh, Well, I teach teach at the moment, the, the underlying principle of influence is frame your request as a contribution to their priorities. If you understand what's important to them, what their priorities are, you might have to paint it out explicitly, but if they can see how what you're asking them to do contributes to what they want, then they're going to be much more motivated to do what you're asking them to. So, you know, understanding people a lot more, understanding what's important to them, understanding what drives them, all of those things which, you know, I find really interesting as a, a psychologist and a leader now in my profession. If I had have done that back then and, and got the time to build the relationship a lot more so I knew, knew my people more uh, and therefore I knew what levers to pull, then that would be, I would have done, been so much more effective in those particular scenarios. And I'll, I'll often say the more you know about a person, the more levers you have to pull when it comes to motivating and influencing them. So get to know your people, really, really basic foundation of, of good leadership.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, I'm sort of thinking of a lot of the audience members who have heard, you know, phrases like, you know, think of, you know, with them, what's in it for them. And really what you're telling us is, is you know, a variation of that. And I guess the surprise for many of us listening is going to be to realize just how important that is in a military setting, just as much as it is in a corporate setting or in any leadership role. If you can't see things from the eyes of someone, if you don't understand what some of their internal
1: motivations are, then you're never going to be able to really get the best out of them, are you? hundred percent. And look, I, I learned that lesson the hard way, Wayne. Uh, my first leadership role outside the military. So yes, I struggled with, with that while I was in, but while I was in, I actually be- became a, a, a fairly decent, you know, I wasn't the best leader in there, but I was a, a competent leader within the military environment. My first leadership role outside the military was in a volunteer context. And for anyone that has actually led volunteers, they know it's actually much harder than leading paid staff. Because if you don't do your job well, they don't have to turn up. You know where this is going, right? I was building up a, a new team, setting up a new team. I had brilliant people, had, had really good quality people there. And I, I'd done everything right. I'd set strategy. I'd set goals. I clearly articulated roles and responsibilities and who was doing what. And we stood the team up and it was a successful event. And I was you know, sharing the vision and doing everything right. And one month later, I put the phone down and that was the last person saying that they were out, they were off the team. And so it took me one month to lose a a team of, uh, you know, 12 to 15 individuals. And and so I'm like, I went into that role thinking this is going to be easy. No one's going to be shooting at me. So, you know, I've I've got this, right? I'm a successful military leader. This is going to be a piece of cake. And I, I learned very quickly the hard, hard lesson that you need to know your people. One, there was a whole lot of communication type stuff. I was communicating in a way that was successful in the military, that was not successful outside. But also, I didn't take the time to know my people, to understand what motivated them, and then to frame everything that I was doing from a leadership position or my key messages as a contribution to what was important to them so that they would actually be motivated to, to invest. So... Uh yeah, it's, they're hard-won lessons, Wayne. <laughs> they sure are. And, and you know, a, again, it's,
0: it's a reminder of how you have to adapt, like, communication significantly to meet different people, to different scenarios, et cetera, et cetera. People sort of say, you know, the secret is communicate, but that doesn't just mean talk or send emails. It's how you communicate that really well-tuned communication is extraordinarily powerful. A few points yeah. off... And you can have a a walkout, which is exactly what you experienced. And that volunteer situation, as you said, when people are kind of like, well, I don't need to do this.
1: You're not paying me. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, And as I say, I learnt all of that the hard way. So, if you're listening to this, don't do what I did. Learn from from somebody else's mistakes.
0: (laughs) So, that's a, a great story in terms of hard yards, let me ask you: it Was just stay in military space? What one one more time? Not necessarily in, the, in your early days, but you know, a, again, you know, as you rose through, through ranks and, and whatever else, and perhaps even you know, because I think you said that in the in the time you were there, there was a you know a, a relative handful of months that you were actually really doing the job. Are there any any particular stories you can think of where you know
1: still you know with all of your training and everything else, it still didn't work the way you hoped it was going to? I mean, there there are a number of situations in that in that environment where influencing my peers did not go well, there were some things there that were for most people wouldn't be an issue. And I just took a a black and white stance on a couple of things and I said, no, like I'm I'm not doing that. I don't want to be involved in that. And as a result, neither should you. And particularly when you're in a close combined environment and and literally I'm looking around my office here and it would have been half this, and uh, we had four dudes sleeping and living in an area half the size of my, my office here. That's close. It's like a three by three room, right? It's, it's not, not big at all. And you're doing that for seven months. I could have taken a much more diplomatic approach to some of those issues that were there rather than just being hardlined. And, you know, I, and again, best intentions, right? I'm like, these are, are my my morals, my ethics, my standards. And as as a leader, you you should be upholding those morals, ethics, and standards that you have and those of the organization as well. But at the same time, it's like kind of like pick your fight and and what's the outcome that you want? Are you willing to overlook a couple of things, which the vast majority of people don't actually consider a big issue? And, you know, and there was nothing legal there. It was nothing, it was just my personal standards on, on a couple of different issues. And so I, I, you know, thinking that you're doing the right thing by one, upholding your own own sort of things, but two, kind of upholding everybody else to those standards as well, when there was no need for me to do that. And when we think about the end outcome, well, what's the end outcome? You want to, in those particular scenarios, you you want to achieve the mission as best as possible. And you want, you know, unity uh, amongst the team and and you want to be operating as a, a close team with with again that trusting relationships that that you had there and i probably put a few obstacles in you know as roadblocks to trust in that particular environment just because i was holding up my own thing so again pick your battles when it comes to those things is it in the big picture is it really important probably not just just stick to your guns for yourself and allow other people to Maintain their standards as long as it doesn't compromise the performance of the team. And I I probably wasn't mature enough at that stage to be able to detach, take a step back, and just take that perspective. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a great lesson, Cliff, because again, I think, you know, a lot of leaders somehow feel that if they don't hold the standard for everything, then it's kind of like the floodgates are open. And then, you know, where does it all stop? Which is you, you use the exact phrase. It's kind of like seeing the world black and white, and that's rarely reality. You know that the, the concept of picking your battles is all about recognizing that that there are some things that probably don't matter, and you know a few points off perfect there, there and there. You know the world's not going to be a different place by getting those right. But in terms of the ability to kind of engage with people and make sure that that when the important things do come along, that you've got the trust and support of of the team and everyone's ready to rise when the time is right. That's way more important. And just saying,
1: you know, it has to be just black or white. That's really not, it doesn't work for many people, really, does it? No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, and I, I can reflect back in those particular scenarios and situations and you say, yeah, okay, I've learned that lesson, but it's a lesson that you always have to keep learning yeah. uh, because where that applies, you know, just as much if not more is in the world of parenting, right? And, and so once you get your own kids, you're like, these are the standards, and even between children right you think this is the standard for the first one and then by the time the second one comes you're like you know what it really doesn't need to be that high and you'll you'll let things slide but again I had to relearn that same lesson just in a different context and that's a I think in and of itself an important skill for leaders regardless of where they are what industry what level of the organization is what's the lesson and how do I apply it in different contexts? I'll often say the learning, or the, the lesson needs to leave the learning in order to be leveraged by the leader. So you've actually got to look at, you know, the, the scenario that you're in, reflect back, do your review, and identify what's what's the lesson to be learned there. And can I pull it out and separate it from that scenario? You know, what's the standalone principle or lesson that just happened to be learned you know, or play out in that particular scenario? And then you can say, okay, how would I apply this again in the future? If it was same scenario, right, how would I do things differently and apply it there? But how would I, in a different scenario, apply this same lesson? And then you can actually look forward and you can say, well, hey, here's here's three scenarios that we think are likely or we know are going to happen. How do I apply that lesson in those contexts but unless you unless you take the time to reflect and and separate the lesson, otherwise you just think, oh, that was a really good lesson, but that just was a lesson that I learned in that scenario. Um, so unless you separate it, you, you unless the lesson leaves the learning scenario, then you you can't leverage it in in any other scenarios in the future. And so I, you know, whether it's parenting, whether it's uh, in the volunteer world, whether it's in the paid corporate space or whether it's in the boardroom, right, uh, at one at one level versus on the front line, if you can identify that skill of identifying lessons and principles and actually separating them from specific scenarios means that you'll be able to apply them wherever you go in your career. And that's that's a really important part of being an agile leader. We spoke a little bit earlier about pivoting, right, and being able to pivot. Unless you can nail that skill, then you're going to find it much harder to pivot or be agile, adjust your leadership style when you uh, the context changes.
0: That makes so much sense. Yeah, separate the, the lesson from the specific scenario. It's a really powerful learn for everyone. Nice. So, Cliff, one of my concluding questions is a bit of a trademark. So I hope you're ready for this one. Now we get you to imagine you're at your u- usual workplace. You look up, there's a wall, or whatever it might be. I'm going to give you a bucket of paint and a paintbrush and you get to write some words on that wall in front of you. So every time you look up, you see your own words back. What words do you write? Oh, which
1: ones? <laughs> Probably something along the lines of take a step back and adopt a different perspective or maybe adopt a different perspective. I I talk about once you lock onto a problem, then you lock out other solutions and and, and potentially it's part of the role of a coach, right, is to ask questions, to take people to step back and and potentially to the side and unlock from the problem and then view things from a different perspective. And you can see so many other options. Nice. And that's what you can. And and while I do that with the people that I coach uh, regularly and all the time, I still need to be reminded to do that myself and to coach myself, to detach from the scenario, to take a step back, adopt a different perspective and just go, what's the end outcome? What's the best way forward? And what haven't I thought of yet? So something along those lines would probably be what I'd say, Wayne. not right? Nice. Awesome. So
0: obviously, Cliff, you're, you're not military anymore and, and you want to just take a few seconds and, and share with the listeners kind of what you do now and where people can find you if anyone wants to track you down.
1: Yeah, certainly. So I, uh, once I left the military full-time, I I hung my boots and rifle up. I went and studied to become a psychologist. So, you know, after a long eight years, I'm fully endorsed organizational psychologist, fully qualified in that particular area, which means I take psychology and I apply it in workplaces. And I, I focus for the last six, seven years, I've been running my own firm and focus primarily on the uh, strategy leaders and teams space. So a lot of leadership development, a lot of team development, a lot of either developing strategy or working with executives to kind of take the organizational strategy and what does that, you know, break that down? What does that mean for their department and that sort of thing? So a lot of, a lot of executive coaching, a lot of training workshops or team coaching and team development workshops, uh, a fair bit of speaking all, along those particular topics as well. If people want to find me, probably the best place to do it is on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and and you know, you'll know you see videos and posts and, and all sorts of things there. Uh, you can visit uh, my website, which is cliffordmorgan.com.au and have a, have a look around there. You'll be able to purchase the, the book, The Coaching Leader there, which I wrote last year. Again, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about coaching skills for leaders. So equipping leaders to be able to lead in a way that develops their people and day-to-day work as opposed to taking them offline to do that. So, yeah, that's probably the best place. Awesome. Well, watch out for some more hits on LinkedIn and, um, and I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll
0: get a few extra book sales and uh, I have to say look forward to reading it myself as well. Cliff, this has been an amazing experience. I've, I've learned stacks from listening to you and, and enjoyed you sharing your stories and theories. So, again, a huge thanks for, uh, for being on Hard
1: Yards in, in Leadership. Really appreciate the opportunity, Wayne. It's, uh, it's been a good conversation. Look forward to it again at some, some point in the future. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where
0: successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn. You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do, and keep believing in yourself as a leader.